Hello and welcome to today's edition of Family Life Today, hosted by Dave and Ann Wilson with Bob Lapine. Family Life Today is presented by Power to Change, known in the US as Family Life. We hope the program will encourage you in your most important relationships. So, question for you. If you could go back to your teenage years, mm-hmm. and I knew you then, <laughs> but I was so much older and mature, three years <laughs> older. But, you know, in high school, you think you're you're not even ever going to date somebody that much younger. But So, go back to like 13, maybe 14, 15 years old. Okay. There was no internet then, but yes. if there was, and you were going to Google like a question, mm-hmm. like I got to get an answer to this. I'm just wondering what that question would be for you. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so my first question, especially at that age, would have been, when am I ready or when is it okay to have sex? Welcome to Family Life Today, where we want to help you pursue the relationships that matter most. I'm Ann Wilson. And I'm Dave Wilson, and you can find us at FamilyLifeToday.com or on our Family Life app. This is Family Life Today. Well, it's interesting. While you were sitting in bed last night and I had my uh, laptop out, I Googled that question. Oh, you I Googled I'll, it. I bet a lot of teenagers are asking that question. Yeah. So I just typed in, which I was thinking later, this is going to look weird on my history, but <laughs> how can I know if I'm ready to have sex? You want to hear the answer? Mm-hmm. First thing came up. And I did it four different times, and every time this was the very first. Number one. Number one hit was deciding if you're ready to have sex is a big decision that's very personal. It's important to think it through and wait until you're sure you're ready. And then it goes on. How do I know when I'm ready to have sex? Deciding to have sex is a big deal. It's an important decision that only you can make. A healthy sex life fits in with everything that you're you're about, including your personal values, your school and career goals, your emotional, physical risks you're willing to take. Think about if having sex is something you really want to do or something you're being pressured to do. I'm not going to read you the rest, but guess where that comes from. No idea. Planned Parenthood. Hmm, That's the number one site that you're going to get an answer. So, to based that on what you read, what would a teenager think? I think you would think, oh, it's really up to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll talk to my parents. No, I'll <laughs> talk to my friends, and I think they're going to agree with me. I'm probably ready. Hmm. You know, again, it's just a nebulous answer that needs some help. And so let's bring somebody in the studio to help us Mm. get a better answer to that question. We have Sean McDowell back with us, Dr. Sean McDowell. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he's written a book called Chasing Love, which we've already had some discussion about, but it's perfect because it's sex, love, and relationships in a confused culture. Sean, welcome back to Family Life Today. Thank you for having me. Parents, I'm just going to say you need to get this book. Oh, yeah. There's a workbook with it. Um, and Sean, like with the workbook, who would go through the workbook? Is this just teens alone in a group? Would parents do it with their teens? Yeah, the workbook comes along with a nine-part teaching series that I, I taught video, 10, 12 minutes, kind of explaining some of the key ideas. So I've had youth groups go through it and contact me. I've had uh, churches as a whole actually go through it. Really? Someone sent me a text of like our entire like younger singles group and he had it up on the screen they were all watching it and discussing it together had parents just take kids through it individually 
and some homeschool groups have used it. Yeah, which is great. And, you know, I know you deal almost every day, right, at Talbot School Theology and at Biola, and then you also teach at a local high school where your kids are in that school, high school? They are, yeah. Which is awesome. Yep. Yeah, so you're dealing with young people's questions all the time. I'm guessing you've heard the question I Googled last night. Mm -hmm. How do I know when I'm ready to have sex? And obviously you have a whole section on this question in the book. How would you answer that? Well, I'd probably answer it differently to a non-Christian than I would to a Christian. Ooh, let's hear both. So if a a non-Christian asked me that, I would probably say, so questions you make about sexuality are tied to who you are and the kind of person you want to become. Because having sex with somebody is the one thing you do that brings a human life into existence. Mm. Do you agree that it's a big deal? Yes. So what do you think it means to love? I might ask this question. I'd say, okay, do you want to get married someday? I'd start with kind of the end in mind. And most young people would still say yes. I'd say, okay, what do you want that marriage to be like? Do you want that person to be faithful to you? Do you want that person to have had sex with a lot of people before they're with you? I think I would just start with the vision of the kind of person they want to become and then help them think through sexuality plays into that role. And then, of course, if a non-Christian was open to it, I would quickly bring it to God and say, you know, really, this is a question about Hmm. is there a God and a designer for your life? And the fact that you're asking this question, you realize a lot is at stake And you can't really answer this question without having some assumption about if there's a God and how he wants us to live. So if you thought about those questions, that's probably the route that I would go if a non-Christian asked me that. If a Christian asked me that and they said, you know, when do I know that I'm when I'm ready to have sex or not? I would say, okay, let me ask you a question. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes. What did Jesus say about what it takes to be ready. They might not know the exact answer, (laughs) but they'd probably say, well, I guess he said you're ready when you're married. I'd say, that's exactly right. Hmm. The scripture says God designed sex for one man and one woman who become one flesh for one lifetime. So your feelings are actually irrelevant to whether you're ready or not. Hmm. I would have said at that time, but that's dumb. <laughs> Why would God say that? When she, she would have said yeah, that. I yeah, would have. I, yeah. To um, the Christian answer? Or like well, you could push to, back. We yeah, could role to, play if to you wanted either. to. <laughs> like that's dumb. It feels like God's given us these desires. Why would we wait? And why would God say no? Have you ever thought about how if God has given us these desires, like you said, and they are strong, good, beautiful desires, that maybe he knows something you and I don't know and has a better plan for it. Has that ever gone through your mind? Because God could have said like a guy and a girl like pinky swear and a kid pops out. Mm-hmm. He could have made sex a chore, but he didn't. And you admitted like God is the one who designed this. Mm. So if he's all knowing and he gave us these strong desires and this amazingly beautiful thing called sex Has it ever crossed your mind that maybe he knows what's best for you and what's best for me in terms of how we experience Mm, it? That's good. I love in the book that you said, um, have you ever imagined what the world would be like if everyone lived the sexual ethic of Jesus? Would the world be better or worse? That's a powerful Mm -hmm. 
statement in the book. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. That is one of my favorite questions to ask young people. And I'll ask young people who are not Christians, by the way, to get them to think about this as well. And, of course, sometimes you have to clarify what Jesus' sexual ethic was. And essentially it was there's two ways to love God and honor people in marriage and in singleness. But if you're married, it's one man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime. So I'll simply ask students, I'll say, okay, imagine everybody embrace that. Would the world be better? Would it be the same? Or would it be worse? Let's start to write on the board what oh, we think the answers are. That's a good teacher. And, uh, <laughs> you're kind. But students start, you know, a student will go, okay, I guess there'd be no divorce. Kids would have a mom and a dad. I go, that's right, because Jesus said that marriage is permanent. Then some kid will say, well, I guess there'd be no sex abuse because Jesus talked about loving your neighbor was a part of this sexual ethic. And then some kid will say, I guess there'd be no pornography or victims of pornography. I guess there'd be no sexually transmitted diseases. There'd be no deadbeat dads leaving their you know, wives for a trophy wife. There'd be mm. no crude sexual humor. On and on, it starts to dawn on students, okay, wait a minute. The rules that Jesus gave is not to control us. He's not, you know, some big cosmic killjoys, people say. It's actually for human flourishing. It's for our best. And that's why I'll take you back and I'll say, that's why David says in Psalms 19, he rejoices in the law of the Lord. Hmm. That it's actually the law. Now, David had a hard time following it, but when he was inspired, he knew that God's laws brought freedom. That's why Moses writes in Deuteronomy 10. He says, love Lord God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and follow these commandments which I am giving you for your good. They're objectively for our good. So what the two of you were talking about a minute ago is kids will not really start to sacrifice following their feelings and urges until they have a bigger vision Hmm. of what marriage and relationships should be like. That's why as an athlete, all of us who are athletes in every capacity, you suffer for something when you have a bigger goal. So part of what the church has done is said, sex is bad, don't do that. And we haven't given kids a vision of, no, here's why marriage is beautiful. Here's why biblical love is the greatest you know, experience you can have. Then when they have a bigger vision to it, it oftentimes gives us the strength to resist some of the lies and temptations in the culture in which we live. Now, take us into your home. How do you teach these kind of things to your kids? I can see you in the classroom. Me I can too. see the, yeah. the board. And when does it start? Yeah, because I'd love to know how you did that and, uh, you know, sort of model for parents. How do we talk about these kind of things with our kids? What age? What kind of topics? Sex ed starts the moment a kid comes out of the womb. Hmm. I mean, think about it. The way you touch a baby, even appropriately, is learning them to become comfortable with their bodies. Affectionate touch. The tone that we use, the way you treat somebody of the opposite sex. Kids are learning from day one. Now, how we have conversation varies. So we're driving a car, and my son, who's eight, uh, my daughter made a statement because she's 14, and they were having a discussion about abortion. And she said something, and Shane goes, Dad, what's abortion? Hmm. And I think a lot of parents would say, oh, don't ask. I can't believe it. (laughs) And my dad would train me. I'm like, here's an opportunity. So in my mind, I'm like, how do I explain this in a way that's appropriate to an eight-year-old? I said, well, buddy, abortion is one of the great tragedies of our day. 
I said many women, for different reasons, sometimes decide they don't want to keep and deliver the baby that's inside of them. Dad, why would they do that? Hmm. I said, well, I walked through, here's three or four different scenarios. He goes, how do they do an abortion? My wife's like, don't explain it. <laughs> Inside, I, I was like, I'm the dad, so I err on the side of going, well, you've seen superhero movies where people die. You've seen that, okay? You've seen people killed. I said, well, sometimes that happens to the unborn. But keep in mind, they can't protect themselves, they're inside a mother. It's a, it's a human being. So it's a tragedy. We got to have so much compassion for these moms who mm-hmm. feel like uh, it's good to say that's that the too. choice they have to make. But buddy, that's a human being. We got to protect too. And then he's like, okay, can we watch this when we get home? Like <laughs> you get these moments. Yeah. So the main way I try to teach it is just sometimes I pause the TV. I don't do it too much because it'll drive my kids nuts. But we were watching the Flash TV show and I'll pause it now and then and go, okay, I just got to say something. And they're like, dad, whatever. I'm like, I know, but listen, okay, we'll keep watching it (laughs) over the dinner table. Sometimes when we're driving, I just look to have consistent, regular conversations with my kids about these things. Did your conversations change a little bit as your kids got older? Because ours did. I think before they were 12, we were kind of instructing, teaching, talking. And then when they became teenagers, we started asking them a lot more questions. Hmm. Did you do some of that or were you always asking? I've always been a question asker. Yeah. So I encourage my kids to ask questions. One of the things I say to my son, because he's eight now that I tuck him in, whenever I remember, I'll say, you know, buddy, you can ask your dad anything. Because hmm. studies show kids, a big reason kids leave their faith is not doubt. It's unexpressed doubt. So I want my kids to feel free. Ask questions. I'm not afraid of this. I invite this. Let's have a conversation about issues of sexuality as well. So I've always kind of invited that. Yeah. But things are pretty black and white until the age you said about, you know, like in seventh graders, it's like, you believe this, you're dumb. You believe that, you're smart. It's like, <laughs> and then they start learning abstract thinking as you move 12, 13, 14, 15, you can have the more sophisticated conversations. If they push back against what you're teaching them, or they start living differently than what you're teaching and hoping they'll do, how's a parent respond? Well, that depends on how they push back Mm. because there's a kind of pushback that's like I'm being rude and rebellious and pushing back out of disrespect or a kind of pushback that's like, you know, I just don't know that I buy that and here's why. Mm. So, I, I mean, I've had conversations with my kids that I've had to apologize and it didn't go the way I want it to for sure, but I haven't had them push back rebelliously and angrily. And some of that is because of the relationship that we have. But I've certainly had my son and daughter, you know, say things like, I don't know if I see it that way. And I'll go, okay, tell me about that. I'm really curious. Now, oftentimes I'll just ask a lot of questions. My daughter's like, what's the point? I mean, she bought me a a mug recently that says, I don't need Google. My dad knows everything. <laughs> I think it was a compliment. That's it how I'm going to take it. But she's like, I can't even argue anything with you. I said, I, I'm not trying to argue with you. I want to know what you think, and I'm just asking you questions so we can have a conversation. So I have to moderate these things because I don't want to go into debate mode. And I just remind myself, I'm like, okay, it's okay if you differ from me, but know why, and let's make sure it lines up with Scripture. And, you know, hearing you answer that reminds me of the last time you were on. We asked you about your rejection of sort of the faith. You were going on a journey and how your dad responded. That's what I remember from that conversation, too. 
talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it sure. sounds like you're doing a very similar thing. You know, uh, look, I get to interact with a lot of atheists and skeptics and ex-Christians over and over again. You hear a common story of a lot of hurt hmm. or just this fundamentalist background that doubt was terrible. And if you question things, it would damage our relationship. Hmm. Not every time, but many times you hear that. And my dad, as much of an apologist and conservative as he is, went out of his way to communicate to us that his love for us was not dependent whatsoever on what we believe. So this time that you're referring to, I think I was 19 years old and just told my dad I wasn't sure that I was convinced that Christianity is true. And I'm sure many people listening know he's written 150 books and <laughs> spoken to tens of millions of people defending the Christian faith. And his son's like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm convinced. And he didn't freak out. He just was like, essentially goes, son, that's great. You can't live off what I think is true. You've got to know for yourself what you think is true. And your mom and I are going to love you no matter what. And that just deflates so much of the concern and the anxiety that kids have. And I try to do that with my kids. You know, my kids have said stuff at times like, what if I believe this or did that almost like they're <laughs> testing me? And I'll just say, you know, that would never change my love for you. That's mm. silly. Come on. Almost in jest like yeah, that yeah. to make sure they know oh, that so that good. relationship would never change. I know that uh, we've written a book called No Perfect Parents. And in the mm. book, we hey, have, I just pulled it up. Oh, oh yeah. We had our adult sons at the end of some of the chapters write in terms of like, just tell us in this, in your words, tell what the reader. worked, tell the reader what worked and what didn't work or what you appreciated That's great. or wish your parents would have changed. And so that was pretty interesting. You know, when we got their manuscripts back, yeah, right? I'm sure what we didn't tell them you write anything you want. Mm. If we were horrible, write it, you know, <laughs> and our oldest son, who is always a thinker, I, I just pulled it up and I thought, I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, you know, he's the first one that wrote and uh, it just reflections and he said i probably would have become an atheist if you had shut down my questioning of things like young earth creationism when i was wow. in high school and college wow i didn't even know that yeah we didn't know it until that's, that's like amazing wow. i mean it was such a beautiful thing to read and i do remember many conversations but even that specific one and i'm like wow great question there's mm. several different opinions on that. Here's like, you know, he was never knowing that it could have pushed oh. him if I would have been the dad that said, you can't question, you can't doubt. You're a pastor's son. This is how it goes. It was so interesting when he was maybe four, I think, <laughs> you know, we're, we're reading the Bible. We're telling Bible stories. And this one night before he's going to sleep, he says, Mom, wait a minute. So doesn't it say that we aren't allowed to murder or kill in the Ten Commandments? I was like, yeah, that is true. He goes, so we just read a tonight about David chopping off Goliath's head, and that's okay? Like, why is that okay? But the Bible says he's four. Tell him what you said. Wow. I was like, hey, Dave. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But there's a part of me that felt fearful, like, man, this kid, is he going to... I automatically, as parents, as a mom, I go into that fear zone of like, oh, no. That's natural. And Dave walks in, and he says, yes. <laughs> like, I'm so glad. And that's what he said. CJ, what a great deep question. Man, you're smart. And let's talk about that because those are great questions. Never feel ashamed to ask those kind of questions. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, that tension of like him knowing my mom is concerned mm. for me and my dad who's like, but it's going to be okay. 
that's a good tension for a kid. So mm. don't beat yourself up. Your kids <laughs> know my mom loves me and is feeling that pain with me. I told my mom when I was questioning things, and my dad was like, son, that's great. Seek truth. I love you. Glass is 99% full. <laughs> my mom was like shattered. Mm. And I remember thinking, guy, this is my life. Like, why does it bother you so much? And then about five years ago when my kids were in deep pain, I thought back on that and was like, Mm. now I get maybe what it would have been like for a mom, maybe, to feel that. Yeah. I think five days ago, I was with a group of probably 13 moms. They all had teenagers. And that the best way I can describe them is they were gripped in Mm. fear of what the culture was doing to their kids. Mm. What would you say? to those moms and even dads that are feeling that fear? I would say a couple of things. I would say the Bible says perfect love Mm. casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. The only thing we can control is how much we love our kids. When my kids became teenagers, I learned very fast. I cannot control them the way I could (laughs) when they were younger, where they go as a whole as they get older, what they believe, my control is gone and minimized in many ways. The older they get, I can build a relationship with them, I can pray for them, and I can unceasingly love them. So never underestimate the power of a praying and a loving mom. to thank Dave and Ann Wilson along with Bob Lapine and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Marriage is a beautiful thing when it's working well, but when it's not, it can stretch us beyond what we ever thought possible. Would you be willing to contribute to our Save a Marriage Fund, used to help sponsor everyday Australian couples who are on the brink? To give a gift, please navigate to our website at families.powertochange.org.au under the Helping Couples tab. Until tomorrow at the same time, God's richest blessings on your family. Thank you.